0: Please turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4 seventeen <clears throat> How many of you when you go someplace, like to drive and how many like to fly? If you I got a long distance to go, I just recently drove out to North Dakota and we had we had to drive for uh, reasons different than this but i'm a i'm a driver it's not that i don't like flying i like driving are you a driver christian yeah what's that yeah so so like and it's the it's the difference between just get me to my destination i don't care what's along the way just get me there to wow i like to see everything along the way right Well, today, not in terms of geography, but in terms of time, we're going to cover more than a thousand years in just one short little chapter. And some of us, you know, who are like, just fly, that sounds great. But to some of us who like to drive, we're like, well, what about, I want to know what happened here and here. And Genesis 4 and 5 is really short. We cover the time from Adam to the time of Noah in just a chapter and a half. Pretty fascinating stuff. Now a couple things you need to know before we actually get into this text. Adam and Eve are the parents of the entire human race. That's the way the Bible sees it every person who has ever existed has descended from Adam and Eve and being children of Adam and Eve, that we all have some things in common. We all bear the image of God. We're made in God's likeness. At the same time, we are fallen into sin. And so we all bear the guilt of Adam's sin. And the corruption that occurred in Adam because of his disobedience is also reflected in every one of us. Every one of us has a bent towards evil. Now we saw that last week in in Cain with his pride and his selfishness. And the question is really this. Will everyone end up like Cain? That's the question. Exactly how bad can men become? And when we say men, men and women, are we all destined to be like Cain? Is there some hope of something better? And from where would this hope come? Is it found within our hearts? Or does it come to us from outside of us? Our text today carries us from Adam and Eve all the way to the great flood. And Moses' intent, even though it's not a part of our scripture reading today, is found in Genesis 6-5. So I want you to look there. We're not to the reading of our text today. But this is where he's driving everyone. He, you, know, you start with Adam and Eve, and you get to the flood. And this is his conclusion, Genesis 6-5. I'm looking at okay. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Think about that a minute. Every person on the planet, the only thoughts that they ever have are evil. That's bad. Now, I know most of us feel like our own day is pretty bad. But I meet people every day, many of them Christians, many of them not Christians, who do kind things to me all the time. I would describe our present situation maybe as getting worse, but there's still a a mixture of good and evil around us. But in this day, going from Adam down to Noah, every intention was only evil all the time. That's the conclusion. And verse 6. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. It grieved him to his heart. You see, the work of the serpent corrupting and poisoning, the pinnacle of God's creation. That's what mankind is. We're the pinnacle of his creation. And the serpent has done his work of corrupting and poisoning this grand experiment of man. God comes to the conclusion, I'm sorry I made him. Has God's good plan been lost? But God. Often those are the most wonderful words to hear in Scripture, but God. Into this world of evil and increasing despair, God speaks a word of hope. It is a word that is increasingly difficult to believe. God declares that a child coming from Eve, now mind you, the people on the earth, every desire of their heart is only evil, and God says someone coming from Eve will crush Satan. Satan will not win. God will have a people for himself. They will be eager to do what is good. God will accomplish this plan, and he will do it of his own grace. If God's plan is going to be accomplished, it is going to come at the initiative of God and not man. Now we are going to see in the passage before us today instances of God's saving grace. Men like Enoch will by God's grace walk with God. We will also see that even in unbelieving, unbelievers God will accomplish good things. And you will see in the, in the passage that we talk about today, there will be one line of ungodly people, the line of Cain, and there will be another line of the godly who flow from Seth. And we'll talk about the differences between those two lines. Sometimes we call the line of Seth the godly line, and that's a good term as long as you don't think a couple things. Do not think that Seth was innately good, or that everybody in the line was innately good. Time will show that even those in the godly line are capable of great evil. So with that as kind of your intro, let's read the text before us today. Beginning in verse 17, we're going to go all the way through chapter 5. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Arad, and Arad fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives the name of the one was Adah, and the name of the other was Zillah. Adah bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Cain was Nema. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me. A young man for striking me, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the lord this is the book of the generations of adam when god created man he made him in his in the likeness of god male and female he created them and he blessed them and named them man when they were created when adam lived 130 years he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him seth the days of adam after he fathered seth were 800 years and he had other sons and daughters Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enish. Seth lived, after he fathered Enish, 807 years, and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enish had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enish lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enish were 905 years and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Kenan were 910 years and he died. And he died. Now, can you just imagine flying over? Okay, there's, there's like uh, Indiana. There's Iowa. There's, you know, South Dakota. You know, you're flying, just flying over. It's just like zip past these things, right? Verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God, and after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was was not, for God took him. A little striking there, isn't it? When Methuselah lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech, and Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. May God bless the reading of his holy word. We begin with the ungodly line, the line of Cain. From the very beginning, we learn this, that having godly parents does not guarantee having godly children, but having ungodly parents, at least at this point in history, increasingly plunges children into darkness think about that. If you go to college and you study religion, they will try to tell you that religion is developing. It's getting better and better, like we're all like growing stronger and stronger to the truth in religion. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. It is the exact opposite. Adam begins with the truth, Cain rejects a good portion of that truth do you think he's going to actually teach the truth to his children? Not a chance. Truth is easily lost. Who's going to teach their kids about the truth of God? No one. Cain's descendants will believe something about God. They will practice some religion, But it will certainly be a corruption of the truth. And that is exactly what we see happening in this story. Cain actually has a son named Enoch. And he builds a city and names the city after his son. Understand that God had told Cain that he would be a wanderer on the earth. And there's no other way to see this than that Cain is actually fighting against the decree of God. Instead of coming back to God humbly and begging for mercy, he just fights against him and establishes a city and declares, I will name him after my son, this city after my son. Now I'm not telling you that cities are bad, even though I'm a country lover. But God had cursed Cain and told him, you will be a wanderer, and Cain immediately starts establishing a city. Why? For his own protection, probably a walled city, he is striving against what God said in his word to him. Now in verse 18 of chapter 4, Moses takes us very quickly through several generations. And I'm not going to read through all those people again, but he He quickly takes us to Lamech, and Lamech is the seventh in the line from Adam. And seven in Genesis is a number of completion. So in many ways, Lamech actually represents the completion of evil. His attitude. We see that in the fact that he has now chosen two wives rather than God's standard of one. We also... Uh, see that even though Cain, I mean Lamech is the epitome of evil, we're going to see that in just a moment, not everyone that comes from Cain's line is as evil as they might be. And you see that uh, there are three uh, fathers of different types of uh, civilization. You see animal domestication, you see music, you see the forging of metal tools and weapons. These are all good advancements. And you can see that in some sense, unbelievers can subdue the creation around them. We would see that true in our own day. But while civilization and culture can be found among unbelievers, true godliness cannot. Lamech's attitude in verse 23 is one that is way beyond that of Cain. He has has moved away from any meaningful interaction with the true God. He refers to Cain's revenge. Did the Bible say that Cain was going to take revenge? No. God promised revenge on those who would attack Cain. But when you look at Lamech's statement, God is nowhere to be found. I will take revenge. I am the one that has the strength. His attitude is arrogant and boastful and proud. And there's no fear of the wrath of God in him whatsoever. Lamech's attitude, we see how truth is lost. The question that is not answered yet, but is a very real one. Will anyone from the ungodly line be redeemed? In verse 25 we begin the, the description of the godly line. And what we are told in verse 26 is that at that time people began to call upon the name of the Lord. The distinguishing mark of the godly line is that they call upon the name of the Lord. Now this is a little bit of an anachronism. If you look there, the name of the Lord is all capitals. It means Yahweh, that they're calling upon Yahweh. Well, we know from the book of Exodus That people don't, God doesn't reveal his name Yahweh until he gets to Moses many years later. And so Moses is actually talking, he's preaching to his people in his day who know the name Yahweh. And he's basically saying that the truth of Yahweh was preserved in this godly line. That's what he's saying. Maybe not perfectly preserved, but it was preserved. that's the issue at stake god if he let people to themselves they would have all distorted his truth we would know nothing of the truth about god and god says i can't let that happen and so he says i am going to preserve the truth of my name in a little thread so that the truth of who i am is not completely lost and so he preserves this line Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 and true. This is the book of the generations of Adam. And so he just, he talks about this godly line uh, in all of Genesis. It can kind of become tedious to us because it's like a repetition of names that we don't really know much about. But just consider it, it's like a thread. It's not saying that all of uh, Seth's descendants are godly. God has this little preservation of the truth in this single line of people. Amazingly. So what can we learn from this genealogy? I've got at least five different lessons. First lesson that you can see from this genealogy is that children resemble their parents. Look at verse 3 of chapter 5. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image. Now notice... When God created man, when he created Adam, he did it according to his likeness, God's likeness. But now, Adam has Seth, and it's after Adam's likeness. Now, be, this is, we're often very loose in our world today. We say, oh yeah, everybody's born in the, in the likeness of God. We all bear the image of God, and that's true. But let's also be clear that we bear the image of our ungodly. Parents are fallen, Adam. So, in other words, this is a humbling thing to accept. You have kids, many of you have had kids. You want them to be perfect and beautiful and everything, but guess what? They bear your image. And you're not perfect, and you're a sinner. How are they going to get back to having the image of God? Well, it has to be a work of God's grace to renew the image of God in them. Ungodliness flows from parent to child easily. (laughs) But godliness only flows from grace. Secondly, In this section of Scripture, we see that one sign of God's blessing is to live a long life. Now, in our day and age, we don't equate blessing quite that way. We would think of maybe a full and meaningful life, or we would think of going to eternal life. But in their day and age, this is part of their statement. To to be the godly line, you live a long life. And so, there's a contrast. Is there any ages mentioned at all of the ungodly line? None. But in the godly line, long life. Okay? We're not given how, why they, how they live that long. You know, maybe there's better genetics. Maybe there's environmental changes. I don't know. But they live long ages under the blessing of God. But the third point even though there's a sign of blessing upon God's people of living long life, guess what? They all still die. (laughs) I mean, over and over, so-and-so lived, and then he died. You think they had to state that every time? And he died, and he died, and he died. Death is reigning. Death is the result of sin and the fall. And even in the godly line, they are suffering under death. Okay? Except for Enoch. It is not accidental that Enoch is the seventh generation from Adam. Because Enoch is placed in contrast to Lamech you see that? They're both seventh generation. So if Lamech is the attitude of wickedness and unrighteousness, Enoch is the attitude of righteousness. The completion of godliness. Now you might think, just from the book of Genesis, that Enoch is just better than other people around him. He walked with God. Wow. He must have been a really good guy. Maybe the original sin jumped over Enoch, and he's just good. Maybe Enoch was, in his own free will, able to overcome the evil. Thankfully, we have the book of Hebrews. And just like it saved us last week, it'll save us again this week from heresy. So turn over to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should see not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God, and without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and he rewards those who seek him. I love this passage of Scripture. As Presbyterians, we believe that you can make inferences from Scripture. That means you can make deductions. You can actually say... Uh, because A is true, and B is true, therefore C must be true. And that's exactly what he does here, the author of Hebrews. He says, he, says um, he knows that without faith, faith is the trust in the promise of God, trust in the righteousness of the coming Messiah. Without that faith, it is impossible to please God. And then he, that's A, then B is, Enoch please God. And then what's his conclusion? Enoch must have had faith. There's nowhere in the text in Genesis that says that he had faith, but he makes that conclusion because no one can please God except by faith. I think it's rather interesting. Enoch was not righteous in himself. He was not just the one who skipped over original sin and he was just the perfect man that just walked on this earth. He is a product of God's saving grace. God um, works in him, even I would say, grants him faith and repentance. He's trusting in God's promise of a redeemer, and he believes that God will fulfill his promises. And what is shocking is that he escapes death completely. Now, that should shock you because Abel, we know Abel had faith, he died. God just like, woo, no death. Now, again, I'm reading into this a little bit, but I am quite certain that this infuriates Satan. I can just see him screaming to the Father, You have no right to not bring death upon that guy. And God for thousands of years, was open to injustice because death never comes upon Enoch until Jesus dies on the cross. And the death that Enoch deserves was placed on Jesus Christ. And God was seen as just in not having Enoch die. And so the fourth point, of the fourth lesson of this, and this is one that we all ought to get, and I think it's the point that God is telling to the Israelites in his day, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, death will not have the last word. He's not just trying to say, oh, look how great Enoch was. Man, I can't be that great, so I guess I don't get that. No, you're to be thinking, ah, faith in the promises of God, and death will not have its final word in my life. That's good news. At the same time, This is the last point of this this genealogy. Those in the godly line continue to feel the effects of the curse and yearn for its release. God gives hope in in the example of Enoch, but people, even in the godly line, are suffering. When you get to verses 28 and 29, the parents of Noah say, we're going to name him Noah because we need relief. Hopefully, this one child will bring us relief from our painful toil. You guys are not under the curse. You're among God's godly line. You're among his people. And yet you feel the curse every day. You feel its effects. And like... Noah's parents, you're you're crying to God for relief. Dr. Belcher says, people who are looking for someone to be born from the seed of the woman who will deliver them from the curse of the fall. Noah was someone special. I think godly parents might have always hoped this in their children, that they would be the ones that the Messiah would come from. But Noah was someone special. Again, in chapter 6, verse 8, Noah finds favor in the eyes of the Lord. He was a righteous man and blameless in his generation. Again, he walked with God. But as you know the rest of the story, we'll get to it next week, God doesn't redeem the world through Noah. He actually destroys the world. And almost in an unthinkable manner, Noah doesn't, doesn't like save the world. He, he's like the last person alive of the godly line. If you talk about a remnant, it's like gone down to just him. How terrible that would have seemed. So what are we supposed to do with this? We've gone from from Adam all the way to Noah, and let me just give you a couple applications for yourself. To us today. Practical things to take away. The world is not as evil as it could be because of God's common grace. He holds it back. Otherwise, every intention of every heart would only be evil all the time. Do not be lulled into thinking that people can be good apart from grace. And I would tell you, make good use of the means of grace that God has given you. You're here today hearing the word of God preached. That is one of the means of grace. Prayer is another means of grace. The use of the sacraments is another means of grace. Fellowship with believers, I think, is a means of grace. Make use of the means of grace. None of us can do any good apart from the abiding work of Jesus Christ in our hearts. The second lesson is that discipleship is important. God has designed it so that truth is easily lost and only by guarding it and keeping it and passing that truth on to the next generation will it be preserved. Don't think that it just happens. Don't think it comes without much effort. It will be hard to actually stay up later at night and, and try to teach kids during vacation Bible school. It is harder to have family worship. It is harder to pray with your kids and to read the Bible with them. Those things are difficult, and yet we must press on. We can't com- Listen, we cannot depend on the world out there to preserve the truth about Jesus Christ. We are the ones that have to do it. Thirdly, Jesus takes the promises of long life and he, they're really fulfilled in eternal life. And I would say we're not looking to live several hundred years in this life. We are looking to have eternal life. And it is easy to forget that we are not made for this world. And we can subtly grow into, oh, I just want to live for this life. Fourthly, You will feel the effects of the curse even though you're redeemed. Don't despair. You have a glorious future. Fifth, we only experience the fullness of our salvation together with all the saints. Therefore, we must wait with patience. This is my biggest problem. I want it and I want it now. Lastly, the mark of godliness. Never forget this. The mark of godliness is faith. The mark of ungodliness is living for this world. It is trust in Jesus Christ that marks us as God's people. We believe everything is accomplished in Jesus Christ. Noah was one that they hoped would bring relief. He didn't. But Jesus has brought relief. And as you live out your life, remember and be joyful in the fact that he has truly borne the curse so that you could have relief from it. Amen. Amen.